Good morning. Got to get you going. <laughs> it's like the first bell at school. It takes another five minutes to get everybody going. Glad you're here. You rolling? Glad you're here today. We're right in the middle of the story. I'm chomping at the bit. Didn't think this time was ever going to come. Excited about preaching today. Nobody's listening, I know. Oh, if you missed the first half of the Colts game, don't blame me. <laughs> oh, that's nobody's surprise. Oh, good to see you today, especially those who are visiting with us. We are really glad you're here. Got lots of things going on um, right now, and we're in the middle of a sermon series that is kind of blowing our minds, um, myself included. And, uh, those things that you can just, sometimes God steps in, which we're going to actually talk about today. Sometimes God just steps in and does his thing and it kind of blows us away. We're going to talk about how that's happened a little bit today. I want to give you a chance um, this morning to kind of uh, take a deep breath and kind of center yourself and, and think about where we're at with things. Um, one of the things that's really dangerous about church um, is information. And uh, I was reading this week and really got motivated by this thought that if we're not careful, we just gather information. I preach to you, you learn stories, and they just become information that you gather. And really, uh, the truth is, information that we gather just makes us arrogant as Christians. If you don't apply it, you just become an arrogant, crouchy, just an old, mean Christian. If all you do is listen and hear words that I'm preaching, and you hear stories, you you just regurgitate them, you don't live them, um, it really is worthless. And so if, if you're here today and, and you're not careful, it, it, what you'll do is you'll hear this, you'll file it under, you know, information I need to know. It won't apply to your life and you'll miss out. So I want to be real careful about that. And I think the way to do that today is uh, to kind of take a break, to get centered a little bit, remember why we're here, what we're doing, and then I'm going to dive in. I'm going to go fast today. Um, i got a lot to cover I got lots of emails from people this week saying, stop apologizing for how long your sermons are. I'm going to try. Now, you may change your mind. About 3 o'clock this afternoon, you all may change your mind. <laughs> so I'm going to go today. I, I think I'm pretty good, but if you need a break, um, you know, I, I don't blame you. This, we are really going fast. This stuff is interesting. I was on a plane um, uh, on the way back from Phoenix this week, and I was riding, and I had my headphones on, and I didn't realize that I was talking out loud. I do that a lot. I'm pretty stupid. And uh, the guy next to me said, so you're a preacher, huh? And I thought there was like this divine appointment, like God had told him I was a preacher. And I said, how did you know I was a preacher? He goes, you've been preaching to me for 30 minutes. <laughs> like, like, I'm sorry, man, I didn't realize I was talking out loud. He's like, well, I'm looking over your shoulder at the PowerPoint. I think I got it. <laughs> I said, well, if you want, then I'll take an offering, you know? <laughs> so, uh, so it gave me a good chance. But I am, I'm just pumped about this. I really am excited about this. And the thing is, I'm, a lot of times I get excited about sermons because I have something that I need to say to you. And I have that today, but I'm excited about this for me. Like, this is new to me. 
a lot of this stuff. And the things you're going to hear today are things that I'm realizing and going, did you know, <laughs> you know, that this is happening? And I, I talked to a few people this morning that go, I've been reading ahead a little bit, and I had no idea that some of this stuff was in the Bible. Like, this person did this to who? And what was this? And how did that? I'm telling you, if you're, if you're reading this thing right now, and you're kind of getting bogged down, we're in, we're in chapter 4. Right now, we're in the second part of chapter 4. So we're like in the seventh week of our series, so it's kind of weird. But I want to kind of let you know where we're at. We're, we're in the, a book called The Story, if you haven't seen that. Um, we, we tried to get some more copies this week, and uh, they were sold out. We are going to get more this coming week, if you haven't got it. But the, the book called The Story is taking us through the Bible from beginning to end in chronological order. And it's kind of blowing our minds, getting some of the history involved with this. Um, but right now, we are at the second half of chapter 4. If you're... If you're keeping up, and I really want you to keep up, um, read chapter 5 this week, okay? Now, if you're like me, you might need to read it two or three times because it's, it's short and it's packed full of stuff. If you read it and you go, I still don't get this, I still don't get that, circle the things you don't get and come back here because the chances are I didn't get them either, and so now I'm studying and I'm going to bring them back to you, okay? But we need to dig through this stuff together. Before I get going this morning, I want to pray. That's what I always do before we get started so that we make sure that I don't talk to you, but God talks to you. Um, and so if you would pray with me, ask God to speak into your life and into your heart things that change who you are, that change your walk, that change your personality, the things that you don't like about yourself. Pray that God will begin to change those through the story. I think he will. Um, but uh, he wants your permission and he wants you to, to ask him to do that. So let's pray together and then we'll jump in. God, we thank you for the way you love us today. We thank you for the story for the story of creation, the story, your story from beginning to end, but we thank you for our story and for choosing to be right in the middle of our stories. And God, right now, so many of us are consumed with the details of our stories, the, the problems, the issues that we face on a daily basis that we have lost perspective on the point. Would you give us a deep breath today? Would you allow us to step back from our lives and get perspective on who you want us to be? And God, as we hear this word today, as we hear these stories and this stuff about Moses today, would you help us not just take it in in our brains, but would you help us pull it into our lives and into our hearts and shape who we are? We choose you right now. With all the stuff that goes on in our lives, all the other places we could be this morning, we choose you. Would you speak to us? Would you be honored by that in your son's name? Amen. Okay, here we go. So if you weren't here last week, I do want to get you a little bit caught up. We are studying a man named Moses, who I introduced last week as God's first superhero. You give him a cape, you give him some Batman gadgets, and he is Batman. It's amazing the things he's done. It's amazing the things that God does for him. But if you were here last week, you know I talked a little bit about Rocky Balboa. Uh, one of my favorite movies of all time, and we get to see Rocky kind of uh, training, and, and if you've seen the movie as many times as I have, um, then, then you know what happens. And so the first time I watched it, I watched Rocky doing the training bit where he climbs up the stairs and he pulls the, the, uh, the log and he, he, he really trains hard, and he, he gets so pumped up and so, um, and he ends up kind of falling and breaking down a lot, and you kind of get that in your heart to go, I don't know if he's going to make it. But if you've seen the movie and you've seen the ending, you know he makes it. And so really the second, third time you see the movie, you're like, you can do it, you know? I probably say that out loud on the plane too, you know, I'm listening to You can do it, Rocky. And you get this sense that, that God's looking at our lives going, you know what, I'm training up a superhero. You've got a daughter to raise. You've got a son that is this close to making a bad choice that will affect his life forever. 
You got a, a friend who is so close to making a bad choice that it's just you and him. And if you don't step up, if you get so consumed in your own life that you miss out on those opportunities, you've missed the chance of being who God wants you to be. And that's part of the story here. We see God um, take a man named Moses. Now, I want to get you some perspective on where we're at on the timeline, because this is so big to me. If this isn't as big to you as it is to me, then just ignore me for a second. Um, But here it is. From Adam to Moses, okay? Um, This is where we've gotten. We've got Adam and Eve. We know the mistakes. Then the world just goes to just a mess. They're so far from God that God has to destroy the people that are on the earth. That was the time of Noah. Noah and his family are the only people that God can see that have hope for humanity. So he saves Noah and his family and a bunch of animals. It gets smelly. It gets messy. And he hits shore and everything starts over again and people start over. Somewhere around that time after Noah and after the flood was the invention of the wheel. All this stuff is used to me um, as part of humanity. We invented the wheels. Things things start rolling after that. Um, <laughs> um, then we invented writing. And, uh, and so a lot of this stuff that, that we're reading right now, um, the people that were involved, if you read about Noah, he didn't write it, okay? Because <laughs> he couldn't. There was no writing at that point. So there, there's, there's some things that, uh, that really kind of impact the way we do this. Then there's about a thousand years between Noah and Abraham. And God, as humans are sort of repopulating the earth, there's still a whole chunk of people. If you read the Old Testament, it's amazing. A whole group of people who are so far from God, they're making terrible choices, um, doing awful things. And things get pretty bad. But God finds a man named Abraham. And he says, you're going to start a group of people that follows my way of doing things. You're going to start a, people, a group of people who trusts me, who says that I'm in charge and follows the right way of doing things. Because if you look around, and here's the thing, you can look around and you can do this in your life right now too. You can see the things that don't work, can't you? You can look at somebody who on Friday night leaves work and you know exactly where they're going. They're going to the strip clubs, they're going out, they're going to be so hungover on Saturday that they can't move, they waste their whole Saturday. On Sunday they're trying to recover, they do a little yard work, they get a little depressed, they get a little messed up and they start Monday all over again. And for them they talk about getting wasted, they talk about all that, and you go, you know what, it doesn't work. You're an idiot. That doesn't work. And then you look at somebody else and you go, you know, this guy is all about money. He's given his whole life to money. But then you spend some time with him and you're like, that is not who I want to be. That doesn't work. So what is it that works? God looks at Abraham and he says, you can look at all these people worshiping other things. And by the way, that, at this point in history, everybody's worshiping gods. Every time they had something that they loved or something that they were confused by, they would surface a god. And we're going to talk about that a lot today. They would surface a god. They would make a little statue and they would worship that god. And by the way, we do the same thing today. Now, most of us don't have statues of our 401Ks, but a lot of us worship them. Most of us don't have statues of our kids in our house. Some of us have lots of pictures, though. But we worship, some of us worship our kids. Our entire lives revolved around gymnastics and baseball and basketball and grades and this and that. And we worship, all of us do it. We still do it. And God is still in the business of proving to people that there is no other God that will bring you what you need and what you want in life. So he meets a man named Abraham, and he says, you're going to be in charge of a nation. It's going to start with you. Your grandkids and their grandkids are going to follow me. I'm going to lead them. They're going to be my people, and I'm going to be their God. Now, they make a whole bunch of mistakes, but it starts with Abraham. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all family members, Joseph, all family members who are part of this promise. God says to them, too, guess what? I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you a part of the earth 
that is for you. He calls it the promised land, land flowing with milk and honey, which would only be good for a little while. (laughs) But basically the idea of that is it's not just food that's good to eat. It's, It's lavishment. It's this wonderful place for you, and he promises this to them. So then after Joseph, there's about 430 years where the people that God has chosen, who the Bible calls the Israelites or Hebrew people, the people that God has chosen are in slavery. And truthfully, as you read this, you're like, man, God, if these are the people you've chosen, why would you let them be in slavery? And it's not like I'm going to teach them a lesson for a few years. 430 stinking years, this group of people. Generations of people grew up in slavery. Can you imagine what it was like to not ever have a Saturday morning where you could just sleep in? Can you imagine what it would be like to have, never have a Sunday afternoon where you can lay on the couch and watch the Colts? Can you imagine what it would be like to never be able to have a movie night with your kids? To never be able to just mow the yard for generation after generation. Now, it's easy for us now to look back and go, I can't believe those people quit following God. I can't believe they start worshiping other idols. But there is this time in history. One of the things I love about the story, and I'm not pulling any punches with this during this series, there's this time in history and we go, where's God? You know? Like, where is God in this story? And and i got to be honest, as I'm reading this, I was on the plane this week reading through this again, and and that's what I wrote in my book, the story. I wondered if I was going to get struck by lightning. God, I see a lot of people in this story. Where are you? There seems to be some time in the life of God's people in in Israel where God was there. In fact, he says he sees their misery, but he just kind of wallers in life with them. And it's this 430 years where they're in, in, in Egypt. They're working for the Egyptians. And if you've ever seen the History Channel, you know the pyramids um, were built by slaves, slaves of the Egyptians, um, to pharaohs. And pharaohs were basically gods, um, but they were kings as well. And so it, these Israelites at this time would have been building possibly some of the pyramids, but definitely um, we have record of some of the walls they built, some of the cities they built. Every day they got up and they worked, and they were slaves. And God hears their cries. And he decides to raise up a superhero. And if you were here last week, if you weren't here last week, I want to take a break and tell you, we have CDs, and they're lining there, and we only have two left, I think, of last week. But Allison has done a great job uploading these. One left, she says. Uploading these to the website. We have these on the website as well. All all the sermons I'm preaching are on the website, usually within 24 hours of Sunday. We don't want you to miss any of this, okay? Because I, don't, I really don't, I don't want you to miss the first part of the story, and I don't have time to cover it all, but you need to know this whole story about Moses is amazing. And last week I spent this whole sermon talking about who Moses was. He was a superhero in training, and God put him through all these situations. He introduced himself to Moses. He explains who he is. And if you're wondering who God is, pick up that CD if you weren't here last week. It kind of tells you a little bit about how God it, um, tells Moses who he is. It's an amazing thing. And Moses decides to step up. God says to Moses in a burning bush, he says, Moses, you are going to go free the Israelites. You're going to go get these people out. Now, Moses had a stuttering problem or a speech problem of some point. And I can hear him just saying, God, God, I don't think I'm the guy to speak on behalf of you. It's hilarious. If you look at the story, over and over and over, God chooses the person who seems to be the least likely to be the hero in the story. Do you know, and what we found out last week is that Moses wasn't a believer of God in Yahweh. 
He grew up in an Egyptian house where he probably worshipped every little god and the only time Yahweh, the true God, was mentioned was just derogatory. He ended up marrying and living with a woman whose dad was a Mennonite um, priest who, who worshipped a whole other god. This was a guy that was far from God. God chose a guy who was far from him and who couldn't even talk to speak on behalf of God. I love this. And Moses finally says, I can't speak. And God says, yeah, but you've you're, you got family who can. Aaron's going to step up too, and Aaron's going to help. And you'll see Aaron and Moses kind of Batman and Robin in this thing, you know? They really do. They Batman and Robin it. They pass off whatever each other's not good at. It's an amazing thing that happens. And here, here's what happened. Moses steps up. He doesn't want to do it. He doesn't feel like it's a good thing. At this point in his life, he's 80 years old. The dude should retire, you know what I'm saying? I mean, he should be playing golf in a retirement community. The villages, you know, he should be somewhere in Florida wearing white shoes at this point. But he says, no, I'm going to step up. Exodus chapter 4, verses 29 through 31. He goes to the Israelite leaders, to the Hebrew leaders. Now, remember, they've been, they've been, they're slaves at this point. He goes to them. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of Israelites, of the Israelites. And Aaron told them everything that the Lord, every time you see the Lord, L-O-R-D right there, capitalized like that, that's Yahweh. That's our God, Okay. Um, and he said to Moses, he also performed the signs before the people. Now, we're not exactly sure what all that was, but we know that Moses had this staff that he did some really cool things with. He could turn it into a snake. See, I'm telling you, he was Batman. He did all these things. He could do anything, only his stuff wasn't like, you know, made up. This was stuff that God was doing through him. He could do these different things. So he must have done something. He goes to the Israelite people, and he says, we're going to get you out of Egypt. Their first reaction is, and we're going to find out in a minute, well, we're good. We're good where we're at. We just don't want to make anybody mad. But Moses says, watch this, does something with his staff, something changes, there's some sign that this guy is from God. And they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. Now I want to take a break here for a second because I want to let you know that what we do every week, what we did this morning, Ben did a great job leading us in a few songs, we call that worship. But truthfully, that in and of itself is just music. It's good music, and they do it on Sunday morning. In fact, this morning, they come in early. They prepare for you because what they believe is that, that what they're doing on Sunday is not just playing. They play other places too. Rick A. and the way, you should check them out. They're pretty amazing. And they play other places, but it's different here. It's different here. We go backstage, and we pray that, God, that people wouldn't just hear words and music, but they would be led to God. And this is what the Israelites did at this point. They're in bondage. They've been in bondage for 430 years. They're messed up. They see some signs, and they hear that the God of the universe cares about them. And their next response is, worship is a natural human response to recognizing that God is in charge of your story. If you're in this space, and you're singing those songs on Sunday morning. And you're singing stuff like, come in, Jesus. Love that tune. That's Rick's song. Love that song. Come in, Jesus. If you're singing that song over and over, and you're not somehow acknowledging to God, I'm not in charge of my story, you're in charge, then what you're doing is singing, and that's okay, but don't call worship. Because what worship really is, and what it's always been, is an acknowledgement that I'm not in charge. You know what happens when you really do that? I've seen people worship for the first time. In fact, as a preacher, often I'm hugging you and stuff, and I don't get to worship sometimes. So I come in early, and sometimes I get to hear these guys as they're practicing, and I can start singing in the back, and I'm like, thank God I'm not in charge, and that he is. That's what they do. 
So they, they get this, this deal with Moses where he steps up. Now check this out. Next slide. Moses decides after he's talked to the Israelites, he's going to confront Pharaoh. He's going to go up and he's going to say, let my people go. You've heard the song. Let my people go. Well, here's what happens. Exodus chapter 5, verse 1. Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and they said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? Who is Yahweh that I should obey him and let Israel go? That's foreshadowing if you've taken high school English. Who is the Lord? You want to go, oh, you're going to find out. How do you feel about frogs? <laughs> Some of you are red. That's good. Who is the Lord that I should obey him? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Now, quickly, right now, it's easy for us to, to think of Pharaoh as this evil guy, and the truth is there was some evil in him. But I want to let you know, this is a problem that we have as Christians right now. We expect people who don't know God, people who aren't Christians, to act like Christians. Have you ever met somebody like that? This drives me nuts about Christian people. You're shocked that this person that you work with who has never been in a church before and never heard Jesus and never accepted Jesus cusses. And you're offended by it. You know what? Why would they? That's what I think of when I hear this story of Pharaoh. He goes, I don't know God. And I, I, don't, I don't know who God is. I, I, there are lots of gods. I, who, why should I stop for your guy? And there's this sense that I resonate with Pharaoh a little bit here. Like, this is not the way I grew up. I didn't know who this guy is. I don't have to believe just because you believe. This is an amazing thing here in this story. So here's what happened. That same day, Pharaoh got mad. He got really mad at this point. He says, I can't believe these Israelites want me to let them go just because their dude says their God is the big guy. He's the number one guy. So he says, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to do the opposite. They're going to work harder. Look at this. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and the overseers in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. So if, at this point in history, they make the bricks and then they build the thing, but they get all the materials brought to them. And if you've ever seen it do this in a third world country, it's amazing. They make concrete and stuff. The materials come in and they mix it right there and then they build the stuff. This is what was happening. The materials come in. Pharaoh says, no more. They're going to have to go get their own materials and build it. And then look what else he says. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as they were before. Don't reduce the quota. They're lazy. That's why they're crying out. Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the people so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. This makes the Israelites mad at Moses. Check this out. The people rebel. So they, Moses comes back, and Pharaoh tells the Israelites they have to work even harder. And Moses says, or, and they said, may the Lord look upon you. They're talking, the Israelites are talking to Moses at this point. May the Lord look upon you and judge you. You have made us a stench to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Here's some things Moses learned right off. And I've got to tell you, in ministry, I've seen this so many times where I've done something and I've, as a preacher, I've said something stupid, which may happen today, will definitely happen sometime in this series where I said something wrong or stupid and it didn't quite work out. And somebody comes to me and is like, God's going to judge you. And some of you may have written me an email like that. I'm not looking anywhere in particular. But where you just go, how can you say that? And we get mad at each other. At this point, though, in this, this point in history, they wanted to basically stone Moses and Aaron. They wanted to kill them. Because not only did they not help, they made things worse. They made Pharaoh matter. And Moses learns a couple things at this point. Check next, next slide. 
Moses learns that some people would rather be slaves than to take the chance of being free. We're going to step out of Moses' story for a second, and I want to talk about your story and the people in your life. Have you ever met anybody like this? That would rather be a slave to sin in their life? Would rather, rather be an alcoholic than face what it might look like to not have alcohol? Would rather be a drug addict than go to work? Would rather be a slave than be free? Moses meets these, these Israelites that go, you know what, we don't even want to be free. There's got to be this brokenheartedness in Moses. I, I know there has to be because there is in me when I see it. I see it a lot in this community. People who go, you know what, I'm, I'm happy being a slave because there's nothing better, is there? <laughs> Moses goes, no, God has promised you something better. Moses finds out God doesn't promise shelter from messed up people. Even if you're his, even if you're choosing God, boy, we know this, the leaders of this church and the leaders of church in general, we know that even if we're on God's side and we feel God moving, that messed up people will always be in our life and we have to overcome. God doesn't promise shelter from a messed up world. In fact, I, that sentence down there, God has never promised to remove us from the problems. He's only promised to sustain them, to sustain us through them. If you ever hear a preacher, you can turn on right now, you can turn on Sunday morning television on your TV right now and hear a preacher say to you, once you become a Christian, you won't have any more problems. If you hear that, turn to a cha different channel, okay? Turn fast. It's a lie. It's not from God. Jesus says in this life, you, there will be trouble. In this life, there will be trouble. In fact, if you're a Christian and you're moving in the right direction, there probably will be more trouble. But what you have is the gift, the promise of the creator of the universe, Yahweh, sustaining you through it. Moses learns these, and they're going to be real important as we move on. Next slide. Moses steps up. And when Moses steps up, and he says, you know what, we're going to move forward. These, these Israelites aren't going to detract me. These people who don't understand that there's freedom ahead of them aren't going to detract me. He steps up, and when Moses steps up, God steps in. He steps into the story. And I wrote in my book, in my story, I wrote, finally, exclamation point. Finally, have you ever seen a movie like this? I was watching one with Richard last night on the Hallmark Channel. <clears throat> Not my favorite channel. Where you're like, is something going to happen? You know, is this, and you look up at the clock and you're like, oh, there's only 15 minutes left of this movie and there's still nothing going on. It's still dialogue, you know? And that's the way I was feeling at this point. Like, where's, the, where's God? And, and you've got to think this is the way the Israelites are feeling at this point. Maybe you felt like this in your life. You're going through this thing and you're like, gosh, this is getting really hard to believe. It's getting really hard to think. And, and you, God goes, you step up first and then I'll step in. Isn't this amazing? If you look at this story, if you look at it as a whole, God didn't need Moses. This dude can't even talk. He's 80 years old. He's in a wheelchair leading the Israelites through the desert, you know? He doesn't need Moses. He doesn't need Aaron. The guy can turn a stick into a snake. He can separate the waters at any time. He doesn't need them. Here's the thing. He wants leaders. He wants superheroes. And what he says, I don't know why he works this way, but he does. He uses people. And he says this, you step up and I'll step in. I, you know how many churches I've been in in my life? Where the leaders go, let's sit back and see what God's going to do. And God goes, uh-uh. You step up and then I'll step in. 
But don't expect me to step in and you just to sit back and watch. It doesn't work that way. Now, if you're in your life right now, you're going, well, I'm just waiting for God to step in. I'm tired of waiting for God to step in. Maybe it's time to step up. Maybe it's time to make a change. Maybe it's time to move closer to God. Maybe there's a superhero calling, like the bat signal. You know the bat signal, the little bat thing? I don't know what it is for you. Maybe that's in your life and you're ignoring it. Maybe there's a neighbor. Maybe there's a person and all you're doing is going, well, I don't care about their life because right now my life is... And it's just this big wine fest in your house and not in a good way. I'm telling you, in your life right now, if you feel like God isn't stepping in, it could be because he's waiting for you to step up. I'm hoping you write down whatever it is you need to step up right now. I don't know what that is. Some of you kind of do. We don't know when, how, or why God is going to step in. We don't. And if you look through the story, this is a theme. We don't know why God chooses to step in sometimes. But it, one of the things that I've noticed is it usually is a, it follows somebody stepping up. Even somebody stupid. <laughs> Even somebody who's not prepared. Even somebody who makes mistakes, even somebody who just goes and tries it, and they're like, oh, that was dumb, God then steps in and fixes it. Have you noticed this through the story? You're going to notice this. Circle it in your Bible. And today, as, God, as you're going, but you're doing what the Israelites are doing, but, you know, I just think I want to be a slave. I just think I don't want to try. God's going, if you want me to step in, you need to step up. Some of you got some marriage issues going on right now. And things just got real tense with you and your spouse. You're just kind of... Acting like you're all right. And the truth is you're going, I wish God would fix her. (laughs) Do you know how many women have come to me since I've been preaching and said, man, did he need to hear that this morning? (laughs) Yeah. And then three weeks later they come and go, well, Harold won't come back to church. I said, well, why won't he come back to church? Well... I told him all week what you preached. I preached to him all week, and he won't. No wonder he won't come back to church. He's been getting it all week at home. <laughs> and then usually it's accompanied by her saying to me, My marriage is a wreck. And I go, She said, I just wish God would fix it. And I wish Harold would be different. Like, you know what? Harold hadn't changed in 61 years. You married him. And if you want God to step in, you better step up. Now, I love saying phrases like that because it becomes part of our culture around here. And those of you who are in this space today who are Christian people, if you're not a Christian, you're kind of off the hook here. You're just kind of, but once you become a Christian, once you decide, yes, I'm following God on this thing, I'm, you may hear me say those exact words to you. That, man, my life is, and where is God? I'm going to go, step up. And if you, one of the things you don't want to say to me, is, well, where? What should I do? It's like when I was a kid, my dad used to get so mad when we'd say we're bored. I learned real quick not to say I'm bored because he would say, I'll find something for you to do. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you're going to come to one of of us afterwards and you're going to go, I don't know. I'll find something for you to do. Let me tell you, it's everywhere. Maybe you need to step up. Okay. Oh, but one back, Tanya. I didn't get through that slide. I know it seems like I should have. When God steps in, (laughs) here's the thing. When God steps in, there's some things that Moses did that we need to do, okay? And here they are, real quick. Some things we need to do. When God steps in, we need to get closer to him, okay? When, When we see that happen in our life, it's happening for me right now. This series, God has stepped in because I'm not this good a preacher. I am not smart. I am not, I don't have time. 
I, don't, I just don't have time. I, I'm into Phoenix all the week, and I'm on a plane on the way home, and I'm like, you know, when I was in college, I was looking through one of my notes. When I was in college, I had a professor tell me that if you don't spend at least 25 hours a week on your sermon, you're not giving enough to God. And I, I'm just going to be real honest with you. I got on a plane on Wednesday this week and hadn't looked at this and knew that I had a two-hour flight. I had a bunch of stuff to do. I had another two-hour flight. I had to piece these together. When I was on the way home, I had spent about four hours on this sermon. And I'm going, God, as I did this last week, God, you're going to have to fill in. And here's the thing. He is. I'm seeing God step up. When you see God step up in your life, when you've stepped up, you see God step in in your life, here's the things you do. You've got to get closer. Find a way to get closer. Read more. Pray more. Come see me. Go see Rick. Find somebody in your life who feels close to God and say, how are you doing it? What are you doing? Get closer to God. Do what he says at that point. Moses is like, all right, God said to do this. People are mad. This doesn't make sense. There's like frogs and weird stuff. I'll just keep going. I don't know what it is. One of the things I hate most in life are greeting cards. Anybody? I hate greeting cards. I hate looking for them. They always say something cheesy that I would never say. In fact, a few years ago, I started buying greeting cards, like birthday cards, but they would be like weird Spanish cards for another, and just writing funny things on the inside of them, and just cheapest cards I could find, because they never say what I want them to say. And I just saw one the other day that I thought was the best card I've ever seen. It was a monkey with a whole bunch of stuff coming out of it, and a bird over the top of it. And like a person with a, with a unicycle and a clown and all this stuff on the front, none of it made sense. It was all kind of a mess. And you opened the card and it said, I'm really sorry about your loss. The world is a messed up place. <laughs> I thought, yes, finally a card I can get on board with. The, the truth is, I don't know where I was going with that. No. The, the truth is, um, what we end up with in our life is we end up following these, th- this messed up world. And if we're not careful, we just keep following the messes in our life. And we go, well, if this is going to happen, then I'm going to treat it like this. And if this happens, then I'll go over there. Instead of going, God says do this, and the rest of the stuff can go where it wants to. This is what Moses does. It's amazing. Do what he says. Stay out of his way. We've seen this mess after mess after mess, and church after church after church. God, please bless this place, but please do it my way, okay? Bless what I've done, would you? Instead of going, God, what do you want to do? And we'll jump on board. This is what Moses does. He doesn't say, God, I got a good idea for how to get through the Red Sea. Would you go ahead and just splash it with some of your magic? He just goes, God, I'm just going to keep walking. And you provide the miracles. And then finally, remember how you feel. This is huge, people. This is so big and so good for us to hear. Remember when God steps into your life, remember how it feels and put stuff in your life. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4 says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love your neighbor or love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These are the commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Listen to this. Impress them on your children. I don't know what impress means. Make sure you brand it. Make sure your kids get it. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. I just told Reese, I was walking around with all you guys hugging you today, and I have got him by the hand, and he said, Dad, are you preaching? While I'm hugging people. Because he's interested in me preaching. And I said, yeah, buddy. This is my favorite part of preaching. Hugging people, loving people. And he looked at me like, what? I I think maybe when he's 15, when he's 18, when he's 20, he'll go, that's part of preaching is loving people. We impress this. We talk about them. What are we doing? How are we doing? And, And then he says this. I love this. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Everywhere. 
remember the good things God has done for you. Talk about them. When I woke up, I, when I was a kid, I'd wake up and I'd open up the toilet seat and my mom would have a scripture verse there. God is with you today. <laughs> I'd go to brush my teeth and it's on the mirror. You know, and I still remember that stuff. You can go, if you go to Israel today, you can buy a, I bought one of these, a little deal that you, uh, just a little scroll-like thing. You can put a piece of paper in and nail it to the frame of your door and it has the scripture on it. It's really cool. I brought one back for my mom. Really amazing. I, I, this is a huge thing for us. You have to remember, I've got, I was looking through a drawer this morning and I found this, a shell casing from my grandfather's 21 gun salute at his funeral. And I picked it up and as soon as I picked it up, it reminded me of faithfulness. My grandfather said that life is about being faithful, just doing it every day. And every time I see this, I think, and I haven't seen it for a while, I just opened up a drawer and I went, faithful. God has given us this gift in our memory and I don't know what it is for you, but find ways to remember when God steps in. I've got to keep going. Next slide. So here we go. God stepped in for two major reasons here. The first is to prove who he is. And the second is to show how much he cares. I'm going to go on to that next slide, Tanya. We're going to get into these. At this point, God steps into this story. And Moses says, all right, Pharaoh, I'm going to give you another chance. I love this. Didn't this set up like a Bruce Willis movie, kind of? Moses goes in and he's like, all right. You can almost hear Pharaoh has like a British accent and is a bad guy. And he's twiddling his. He says, all right. Let my people go. And Pharaoh goes, now they're going to work harder. So this is what happens. God steps in. And it starts this way. Now, you remember why I told you God steps in. You remember why God steps in. He steps in for two reasons. He steps in, usually in our lives, to prove who he is and to show us how much he cares. Those are the two reasons God steps in. So in this case, there are a whole bunch of, of gods that people are following, and God wants to show the Egyptian people that he is the only true God. And you've got to look at this. If you've seen the ten plagues your whole life, you may never look at them in the same after you hear this. Each one of these plagues is a direct attack on one of the gods of Egypt. Okay? And I've got them all written down here for you. Here we go. I'm going to go through them pretty quickly. The first thing that happens is, the Nile River that runs through Egypt that gives the, the people all their water, gives them their lush land and their abilities for crops and all that thing. The Nile that runs through, they believe there's a god, and that god's name is Osiris, the god of the underworld, and they thought that the Nile River was actually Osiris's blood. And they believed that anything that came out of the Nile River was holy. In fact, they believed that the frogs and the crocodiles that were in the Nile River, you couldn't kill because they belonged to Osiris. They couldn't kill frogs. You're going to get that here in a second, too. Couldn't do anything with that. So at this point, God looks at this and he says, Pharaoh, the very heart of your community, I'm going to turn to blood. And I don't know how he did this or how it looked, but the entire Nile River is, becomes blood. It's the first plague. Fish die. Crocodiles come out of their banks. Everything is uprooted. And the Egyptian people go, this Osiris must not be near as powerful as we thought because this is real blood. This is the real, the real stuff. And so then this blood has just starts really messing people up, messes up the whole culture. Moses goes back into Pharaoh and goes, all right, did you see that? Let my people go. Pharaoh goes, no. And somehow the Pharaoh's magicians begin to do some of the same thing that they, they make these tricks, you know, they, they do these things. And so they may have turned some water to blood or something um, at that point, and he proves that he's not. So then Moses goes, all right, next. You can almost see Moses going through this. Next is frogs, an attack on the goddess Hequet, which I don't really know that's how you say it, I made it up, um, who had, if you look online and you look up her name, she has a big frog head. 
It's awesome. This is the goddess that they built um, with a, a statue of a frog head, and they worship this thing. Basically, what they believe about the frogs is they were part of the Nile River, and they were part of what is holy because of the, the, the Nile River. These frogs end up everywhere. And it was Egyptian rule that you could, be, you could be crucified for stepping on a frog, for killing a frog at this point in history. And they are everywhere. You can't walk without killing a frog. I mean, I can't imagine what this thing looked like. Just a terrible plague of frogs. And somehow, when Moses goes back in, Pharaoh goes, no, watch my magicians, they can do this too. Boom, boom. There's frogs everywhere. And it's amazing somehow that these magicians can make two appear. You know? And this whole thing with the magicians, I never understood because my feeling was, if you really want to prove that you're amazing as a magician, why not reverse the plague? <laughs> you know? not just, but they didn't, and they, they just created a couple frogs. So Moses said, all right, if you still won't let my people go, here comes the third. Gnats, attack on the god Set, the god of the desert. Moses goes to the desert. He taps on the sand with his staff, and the whole desert becomes gnats. Can you imagine the gross, awful feeling? Now, this is the first one that the magicians really couldn't do anything about. They're like, I can't. He beat me. He wins. And things get really hard at this point for the Egyptian people. But still, Pharaoh won't let them go. Every now and then, Pharaoh will say, all right, you can go. And then he keeps them from going. It's it's just the story, as you've read it, has just been amazing. Flies are next. An attack on the god Uatic. Probably a dog fly. Um, this, this terrible, gross fly that just ends up everywhere. Still, Pharaoh says no. And then we get to the death of domestic animals. All kinds of domestic animals start dying. And there is this god of a, the gold, that's a, kind of a golden calf that is attacked at this point. And at this point in history, uh, there is just this enormous feeling in Egypt that something is wrong. Boils. That just sounds gross, doesn't it? <laughs> Attack on the god Emotep. Anybody ever seen the movie uh, The Mummy? The God in that is Emotep. You should read, it's pretty cool the way it all fits with the Bible. Um, but Emotep is the God of healing, and these boils come up, and none of the doctors can heal them. And it's just this obvious that Yahweh is the only healer. And in fact, at this point, the magicians were too sick to come this time and even try when, when Moses got there. And now things are getting bad. The next is hail and fire. It just gets awful. Attack on the goddess Nut, which is an unfortunate name, who is the sky goddess lightning, all this stuff, it's obvious that something else is in charge other than that. Locust, an attack on the god Seth, protector of the crops. And then it gets awful. Darkness covers the earth. And we're talking about darkness that makes people go crazy. Insanity. Because of this darkness. And he still won't let him go. Now, the sun god is the god Ray at this point in history. The the center of the Egyptian culture is Ray. And God says, I'm going to shut off your god. Completely shut him off. Now, the, what I love about this story, if you read a little bit closer, the Hebrews, where the Israelites are staying, they have sunlight. God didn't shut it off for everybody. I love that in this story. The, the Hebrews get it. The Egyptians don't. They start to go crazy. And then finally, the worst of the plagues, and the hardest one to stomach if you're reading through this story, is the death of the firstborn male of every, everybody in, the, in, the, in Egypt. By the way, if you're not listening and you're, an, and you're a Hebrew, you're an Israelite, the death of yours too. Now, we need a break here. Stand up if you are a firstborn son. Stand up. I am. Dead, 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 dead. One night. All these guys, no reason. You guys sit down. It was fun though, wasn't it? Yeah, 
Yeah, you're dead. Dead. For no reason, no apparent reason. God says, dead. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what that would feel like to the Egyptian people? There's a God who is the God Isis, who is a protector of children. This makes God so mad. To worship a made-up idol that they think protects children as much as we know God loves children. He goes, no, no, no. I hold children in my hand. Now, i got to let you know at this point. Let me, let me switch. Go, go to that next slide. Can you go? There you go. Um, one more, Tanya. Sorry. I'm moving through. There's some hard truths about these plagues, and especially this last one. God says, and if you know the story, he says this. He says, I'm going to kill every firstborn male in Egypt. That includes the Israelite males. If the Israelites don't do this thing, this obedience, and we call it the Passover now. If you have Jewish friends, they still call it the Passover. Where a, a lamb is killed, the blood is spilled out into a basin, and it's painted on the door frames of the house. And the idea of the Passover is when God and God's angels, whoever it is, strange kind of a story here, passes over the house, they see the blood, and they see the obedience of the family there, and they leave the children alone. And there's some hard truths about the story. The first one is, the whole story of the Bible is brutal. I'm not going to make it up. I'm not going to skip over it. It is brutal. And then something I want you to hear today is, it. listen to me here. The story isn't fair. There are three-year-old boys who died in Egypt because Pharaoh was hard-headed. There are six-year-old little girls who were innocent, who lost their big brother. There were families who were torn apart, who seemingly had nothing to do with this. Let me tell you about this. The story is not fair. And it doesn't change. Jesus, if you listen to the story of Jesus, he goes into a village where there are sick people. Have you ever heard the story? You're going to hear this later in our message. He goes into this village, and there's sick person after sick person. They're all gathered around this water, and he almost picks through them. Excuse me, excuse me, pardon me, pardon me, pardon me. They're lame, they're blind, they're messed up, they're sick, they're all wanting him. He goes, you, pick up your mat and walk. And then he goes, pardon me, excuse me, pardon me, excuse me, on his way out. It's not fair. I'm going to tell you, I don't know. I know that when Adam and Eve sinned, it broke things, and it made things unfair. The story isn't fair. You've said it to your kids. Life ain't fair. And then you grow up, and you go, why isn't life fair? It isn't. It's impossible to fully understand the story. We know that God is in control, and people aren't. And the point of the story is, here and all the way through the Bible, is that God is pursuing people and he wants to bring them to himself at all costs. It's the most important thing to him. Those who trust and follow him are aligning their stories with God. And we see it over and over throughout history. So the Israelites, I'm almost done here. That's why I do the points on the side so you can see you're almost done. The Israelites get through this whole thing. Finally, Pharaoh says, let them go. We've got to stop this plague. Egyptians are dying. This is a terrible thing. This Yahweh thing is obviously the true God. We've got to let them go. He lets them go. The Israelites take off. They go into the desert. They get trapped near the Red Sea, uh, the Red sea which is this huge sea. There are parts of it that are 5,000 feet deep. It's still there today. 5,000 feet deep. Huge canyons in this place that are as big as the Grand Canyon. 
um, that are under the water. It's an amazing sea. It's one of the most incredible seas in the, in the world. They get trapped up against the sea. The, the Pharaoh's army decides, nope, they're not going. We're going to kill them all. Pharaoh's army comes after them. And here they stand with the, the Red Sea on one side of them, waves crashing, and Pharaoh's army coming at them, ready to kill them on the other. And the Israelites, who have seen plague after plague after plague, they've seen God's miracles after miracle after miracle, go, now you've done it, Moses. You've brought us out here to get killed. And they get in this whiny attitude. You've done it to us again, and we're out in the middle of nowhere, and we're better off being slaves. We should have stayed and made bricks. And Moses answers the people, don't be afraid. See what happens when panic sets in in people is that faith surfaces. This is why I love this church. Maybe the reason I'm still preaching here. Because when there's a flood in Paragon and hope goes away, the church stands up. We know where the hope comes from. When there's a mess, when there's a funeral, when there's a just a messed up time and everybody panics. When the world starts saying the economy's going and we don't know who to hire as president, we go, the faith stands up. We know who is in charge. Moses goes, guys, I know the army's coming. I know the sea's there. Trust God. Don't be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance of the Lord. Now you've got to think Moses is going, right, God? <laughs> Do something here. You'll see the deliverance of the Lord that we'll bring today. The Egyptians see today. The Egyptians that you see right now, you will never see again. Right, God? Here it comes. Anytime, God. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Between a rock and a wet place, they find themselves. Next slide. Then God steps in to show how much he cares. Exodus 14, 26. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at a daybreak, the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had been following the Israelites into the sea, and not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses as his servant. And we come out with eye of the tiger. Love this. God proves to a nation that he is who he says he is, and then he proves to his people that he cares in the midst of their mess. That's who God is. Where are you in your story today? Ben, you guys can come up. See, I told you we are getting close. Where are you in your story? Are you having a hard time trusting God like the Israelites? Are you starting to whine? Are you missing the point of your story because of all the little things? Do you need to step up in your life? Or are you choosing slavery over freedom? Okay, next slide. The perspective on this, on this story is a couple things. One, that sin in our lives is slavery. And God has provided us an exodus. That's the name of the book. You know the book you're reading right now? The book in the Bible is called Exodus. It's because of the exit that God gave the Israelites. It's awesome. 
The story of the Exodus is a story of God taking people he loves out of slavery, and the story continues. If you're here today and you're addicted, if you're here today and you're far from God, he has an Exodus waiting. I love the story. The lamb's blood that was painted on the doorframe, the lamb's blood that was painted on the doorframe during the Passover to signify, God, we trust you. We put our trust in you. You are our God. We are not in charge. We do what you say. We follow you. We paint the blood if that's what we have to do. Guess what? The blood is still available. Guess what Jesus Christ is called? The lamb who was slain. You don't have to paint your doorframes today. You just accept the lamb. You accept Jesus. If you haven't done that today, please do it. And I want you to know he'll never stop pursuing you. Today, do you need to choose freedom? Will you choose to trust God in the midst of your mess? Can you get perspective on your story? And then finally, here's where I want to go with this song. This is why I had the band play this song last today. I'm going to ask you to go ahead and stand up with me. Do you remember what happens when people when God when people see God step in? When they're ready to step up? You remember what they did? We said at the beginning, there it is. I put the scripture there so you could remember. Here it is. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshiped. We're going to do it right now. Maybe some of you for the first time ever. We're going to sing a song called Forever. You know this song? I've been singing it forever. Forever you are faithful. Since the Israelites. Forever you are good. I'm going to ask you to sing this this morning. And when you're singing it, do this with me. This is what worship is. When you sing this song right now, don't, sing the, don't just sing the words. Don't close your eyes and do the Christian pretend thing where you do this and act like you're worshiping. Don't, don't do that unless you mean it. Don't pretend today. Just while you're singing it, think this and say this to God. You're in charge of my story. It's brutal. I don't understand it. I'm mad at you. I don't like it. I don't want to be here. I can't stand this. It doesn't make sense. But you're in charge. And let me tell you what happens when you worship like that. God steps in and says, if you want me to be in charge, I'll be in charge. I give you the chance this morning to do it. Some of you have given God the reins and you've said, and then you've taken them back and you need to right now say, God, I forgot. I forgot. I thought I was in charge, so I'm making my own decisions. I'm going my own way. But God, I I choose today you. I'm going to ask you to sing this with me. I'm going to be right back there today. If you need the blood over your door, come get it today. Don't leave here without putting God in charge of your life. Let's do it.